I think the sustainability piece, I just felt, you know, again, sort of going back to the all the years that I had worked in the field, um, that I had a responsibility to do my part and not just add to what we would throw into landfills. But I always have had such a love affair with design, and I think it matters. It's It's not a superficial thing. It is something that moves us. It's not, it's, it's different for every person what it is, you know, but I think beauty affects us uh, in design as well. You know, I like to make the analogy of why even invest in a bouquet of flowers? You know, it's, it's a poor investment. They're dead in a week, but you do it because it moves you. It, it does something that beauty translates sort of beyond words. Welcome to the Glam and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Takara Suet, head of partnerships at Wavebreak. On this show, we talk with leaders of beauty, fashion, and lifestyle brands. We dive into their stories, lessons learned, and perspectives on how the industry is ever evolving. Subscribe and join us each week as we glam and grow. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right, and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call. Joining me today on Glam and Grow is Kirsten Kerr Weiss, founder of Kerr Weiss. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation with you. I am super excited for this conversation. I'm really excited to hear about your background and your journey. Um, it's definitely been been an interesting one. So you grew up on a, a farm in Denmark, which I find really interesting. Obviously, that's, that's not the norm for a lot of uh, global entrepreneurs. So talk to me about your childhood and your, your career prior to starting the brand. Yes. Yes, I grew up uh, on a farm in Denmark. I am the youngest out of six kids, so it's not necessarily the cards, um, you know, to move abroad. Um, But I, it was, you know, it's a very, what I would say, quaint, peaceful upbringing, you know, like really... Uh, in many ways, you know, as 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 soon as I got a little bit of a a hint of big cities, et cetera, that's what I was dreaming of. You know, that's what I was uh, sort of aspiring to. And so after, you know, finishing college, uh, I knew exactly that I was going to go traveling. Uh, but, you know, in hindsight, I see so much of my path, you know, is rooted in what I grew up in, as as we all are, I suppose. Um, but also just from a business standpoint, you know, and what I ended up doing is really tied into, in many ways, that love of nature. Um, because it was, um, you know, we grew up next to a big forest, you know, like with creeks and stuff. So just lots of time outside, you know, and in many ways, you know, I see in retrospect, you know, like the farm that we had, we grew our own vegetables, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it was organic. I just didn't know at the time that that was such a thing. It was just a way of living. Um, but I think you put all of these things into your backpack somehow and take them with you. And then they shape you um, into, into who you become, you know. And so I I definitely took some of that backpack with me, you know, when developing uh, the brand. I, I love that. Your your childhood sounds magical. 
Um, I'm curious, were you always drawn to beauty necessarily, or that's something that came a little bit later in life? And then, you know, you mentioned like the, the beauty of the natural world that surrounds you. How exactly do you feel that that influenced you? And did you always think it would influence you in beauty? Yeah, so I definitely didn't grow up uh, really knowing anything about beauty. Uh, my mom was, uh, I would say, absolute minimalist when it came to makeup. You know, her idea of dressing up if she was going out or they they had an event to go to was moisturizer and maybe a lipstick. So probably looked amazing. <laughs> and, and you know, and it, I've actually taken some of that with me into my work as a makeup artist, you know, like super minimalist skin, but then a pop of color, something that stands out, you know, like a detail or something like that. Uh, but no, I, I, I honestly, I never really wore a lot of makeup until I started, uh, you know, I'd say maybe in college, uh, super minimal. So it definitely wasn't in the cards. It was going to be in beauty, but I somehow early on in life knew it was going to be something in the creative field, uh, that I, um, had a liking to and, and an aspiration to potentially something, you know, with fashion. I didn't really know. I just knew I was drawn to something creative. And, and I think as far as the natural sort of side of things and and how you know the brand came about there was just always a a reverence you know for nature you know um long winters in Denmark you know and always kind of depending on what kind of harvest we had I remember those conversations you know my parents would have because they were depending you know on on the farm as an income and just I think seeing my mom you know um, really tending to her garden and spending a lot of time with her out there as the youngest. And it just installed an affinity, you know, for nature and, and nature's bounty in me, the flowers, the scents. Yeah, I would say just a um, really honoring nature um, without me knowing that exactly at the time. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, your makeup looks stunning, very minimalist and like your skin is radiant. So I, t I totally see uh, where you got it from. Um, so let's talk about your your career as a makeup artist for a little bit. I'm so curious how you went from, you know, a, maybe a little bit like isolated from that world yeah. childhood into, you know, doing work on renowned, you know, fashion magazines like Vogue, Elle, Marie Claire. I mean, it kind of went from one extreme to the other. So Talk to me at a high level how, how that happened. It happened, you know, because I, I thought initially after I'd finished school, you know, like I wanted to go travel. And so I started traveling a bit. And my goal was and my plan was to really come back after a year and start architecture school. That's where I had landed uh, in, in my pursuit of a career. And after traveling, I realized coming home, after these 12 months being abroad in the US and, and France, that there was just no way I was going to go back and sit down in school for another six years. And so I studied, you know, I met this uh, wonderful woman in Copenhagen, and I just was fascinated with her. And as it happens, as I'm sure it happens for many people, you meet somebody and it kind of turned the events uh, in your trajectory in life. Um, she had a spa and I really wanted to be around her because she was everything that I in at that point in time really aspired to be. There was the artistic nature, the creativity, arts, culture, 
um, that I thought was so fascinating. So I really just wanted to be around her. And so I took an apprenticeship with her. She had a spa and I learned about skin. Um, and, and that sort of became, you know, something that I could use again late on in life, you know, when, when establishing my own brand. Um, but, you know, as part of the routine, she would have customers coming in, you know, and we would do facials on them. You know, she was really into, you have to try and put some makeup on them before they leave. And she took after a, a facial. Yeah. Wow. After a facial. Wow. That's so interesting. I've never heard of I that. Before. And a lot of them really didn't want to, you know, but she was, you know, it was also, uh, she thought it was wonderful for them to walk out, uh, you know, with a look. And she just took a liking to the way that I did makeup and suggested I go to this school in France called Crescent Chevaux, you know, where you could learn makeup in a course that took 12 months. So I thought, hmm, yeah, why not? You know, I could put, it would take me back to Paris uh, and I love Paris. And so I did that and I just kind of fell in love with it, you know, because it's, it's like painting. It's just painting on a face. And, and so that. Through a lot of sort of, I would say, different avenues became my path. And and I came back, this was in the late 80s, um, and started working immediately in Scandinavia because it's such a small market and was able to build my portfolio really quite fast. Worked in Europe for, you know, quite a few years. And then eventually, in the late 90s, decided it's time for me to go to New York and pursue a career as a makeup artist over there and see if I could play in a bigger league. Um, so I moved to the States in the late 90s, you know, and, and got an agency over there and, and started to work as, as a makeup artist. So it was a creative endeavor. It was a creative outlet. I just never had seen it, uh, you know, be from a makeup artist standpoint. I, to be honest with you, I didn't really even realize at the time, you know, when I was in my teens that it was a job. Um, but that's just how life unfolds sometimes, you know, and, and then it really became my path. Yeah. I think that you bring up a lot of really interesting points. I think that's how life unfolds when you really open up your life to endless possibilities. I find it really interesting because in the U S it's pretty rare for someone to do a gap year or to travel for 12 months, maybe, you know, go on a holiday here and there, but for that 12 months, um, do you think that's a, like having a more global perspective and having that experience when you were young, do you think your life would have worked, it ended up very differently had you not done that? And I'm curious if your family uh, was supportive in that. They, I mean, I finished college, so that was good for them, you know, but I do think, I, I personally feel, you know, the, it's incredibly important to really look at your own life and consider it that what do I want to do with my life and not step too much into culturally and from society's perspective, what's, you know, expected of you. You know, you really have to follow your own path. At the end of the day, it's your life. It's not your family's. It's not society's. And so really having, I would say, probably the the, the guts to step a little bit outside the herd mentality of because we just get so programmed into this is what you do at this age and this is what you do at that age and by this age you should have x y and z and that might be fine you know but if that doesn't call you you know stepping out of the norm sometimes can be challenging but it i truly think it pays off in the long run because 
it will make your heart sing, you know, and your 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 heart and your passion for what you're doing uh, is going to open up so many doors. So I do think, you know, the, the 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 structure is definitely in place in Denmark as well. That it's it's common that you finish uh, high school and then college and then potentially going on to university. But I would say more from my case, it was really just where I grew up. It's such a small society. Uh, I grew up in a small town with 1,500 people. So wow. to move to the States was just like, what? Are Unheard you of, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and from a family standpoint, you know, in the beginning, it was a little bit the black sheep of the family. But it that has turned around a long time ago. Everyone loves to come visit New York and and uh, and they think it's great, you know. So they obviously see I'm thriving. So yeah. the day, that's what's most important. Yeah, absolutely. Thriving to say the least. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that timeline. You're like working in New York in the late 90s, which must have been incredible. I feel like that was like the golden era of, you know, fashion and models and makeup very different than it is now. Um, I'm curious a couple things like when was sort of your your big break, so to speak, and when you really found yourself really cementing yourself as a as a pioneer in the in the makeup world. And then um, how, what do you think about the nineties versus now in terms of social media and trends, like what is your thought process on um, what beauty meant then versus now? So I think, you know, when I, when I first moved there, I, I kind of just stepped in, you know, I think a lot of times it's, it's really just fantastic that you don't know what you're getting yourself into because it could hold you back. But of course, you know, you step into a, a, a huge city um, and also an industry that um, it requires, you know, just a lot of knocking on doors, you know, to really get in. I had the benefit of a portfolio I had already built from Europe. So I actually got an agency pretty fast and then slowly but goody, you know, built uh, clientele so that I could actually um, support myself. You know, in the beginning, I would go back to Denmark, do jobs over there, fly back, you know, and to make money. But you know, eventually the ball started rolling and, and I would have steady clients. Um, and it was an incredibly fun time. You know, I would say in, in, in the beauty industry, the fashion industry, there's a, it's almost like there's a hierarchy, you know, like the, the tier at the very top, you have, you know, like the Pat McGrath of the world, uh, Kevin O'Pon at the time, Francois oh. Mars. Um, I was probably in the second tier, you know, like I did great jobs, but I never worked on a regular basis uh, on, you know, at Vogue or Harvard's Bazaar at the time. But I had something, you know, incredible years uh, just meeting wonderful people and, you know, having adventures and and jobs that were very inspiring. So it's it's definitely something I look back on with with great uh, gratitude and also fondness. And and I think in terms of a from a beauty standpoint, you know, I just recall my love uh, and fascination with magazines. You know, I would literally collect them, stack them, have piles in my apartment you know, looking forward to, you know, a new, like a new vote coming out uh, and, and and going home and make a cup of tea and just, you know, flip through it and just taking it all in. I miss that a lot today in many ways. I know it's sad that that's sort of died. I mean, I don't, I used to do that myself and I don't see anybody do that anymore. No, no. And, and it's just, I think, you know, hopefully 
they will stay, you know, in, in actually um, in a paper version. But we obviously have moved our eyes to our phones and to Instagram and social media and the speed of it. I, you know, with the risk of sounding like Wilma Flintstone, I really like the slowness <laughs> of it. You know, like yeah. I love the craftsmanship. I love everything that I remember going into these photo shoots. And I'm sure they still do in many ways. But there was just a reverence for the whole process of the team coming together and building incredible stories and then seeing them come to life uh, in physical form in a magazine. And I feel that's gone missing a little bit, you know, with, with social media. Um, but then on the other hand, there's also lots of pluses uh, with that. You know, it's the, the, the dynamic format that it obviously, you know, brings to life because it's moving images uh, a lot of times. So it's, it's sort of a, you know, like there's a nostalgia that definitely takes me back to the 90s uh, while still trying to embrace 2023. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I found it interesting. I don't, I personally don't have TikTok. I just don't want to become obsessed with anything else. Um, but there's sort of this trend with Gen Z of nostalgia, which I find so interesting because it's like it, you know, obviously their their time period is a little bit shorter, but it's interesting. Yeah. They crave nostalgia. And I'm like, it's so it's it's definitely something I think we're all craving. Um, and I think, you know, it'll it might be exciting in the future to see, you know, magazines be like retro and be something that yeah. does come back in trend. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh the world does a little bit of a, a 180 in that regard. No, I um, think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, it it typically, you know, if if it tips too much to one direction, it'll start balancing back, you know, and and I think to your point. I remember, you know, like a lot of times with the, with the team, you know, like the conversation oftentimes is, oh, it has to be shorter formats, faster formats, you know, like the longer formats is so yesterday. And, and, and it's also just deciding not necessarily to obey to everything that is in demand because the 20 second sort of attention span, you know, has to be balanced out with something with more substance. Uh, from my perspective. So it, it's it's kind of like that constant sort of weaving back and forth of the younger demographic and their needs and, and, and expectations versus, you know, what kind of lies, you know, deep in the soul of wanting to tell story. And, but that takes longer than 20 seconds. Absolutely. And and as a marketer and in regard to marketing, it's that's much easier said than done and, and quite a challenge, I think, for pretty much every brand at this point to find that happy medium of really yeah. storytelling, educating, but also capturing that attention and, and what can be such a short period of time. Um, yeah. Before we dive into marketing, though, I would love to hear when the moment was you were like, I'm starting a brand because you started at such a phenomenal time. Um, you were, you know, you are one of the pioneers, particularly in organic makeup. So I'm curious what that process looked like, the development process, what inspired yeah. you and and really what white space did you see? Yeah, so I had had the first hand experience, you know, while I was still in Europe working as a makeup artist um, that a lot of the girls that I was working on had major skin issues and I could definitely see a red thread of it tying back to a lot of the products that I had in my kit at the time, you know, which, uh, you know, were all conventional. And, and then when I moved to the States, it just continued. It actually got worse. And, you know, a lot of the models would then start bringing their own mascara 
or their own foundation and be like, you can't use that on me because I know for a fact that gives me runny eyes or this really breaks me out. And, you know, X, Y, and Z. There was just a lot of issues. And and so I started looking, you know, to more natural brands, but this is all the way back in the early 2000s and there really wasn't much. I'm sure there it looked was, so different. <laughs> yeah, very, very different. I mean, there were... You know, this is this is before Whole Foods. This is when health food stores were like a mom and pop store down on, on the corner where you could buy things in bulk, you know. But it was, um, you know, there were still some of the German brands that were on the market. You know, Dr. Hauschka, Valeda, La Vera, they really have always been at the forefront of anything green. But they had a few makeup products, but they really just couldn't perform. And so that, in essence, you know, became my aha moment. It was kind of realizing that if I can take the best of two worlds, you know, these two worlds that had always lived apart, the, the conventional world that has the high performance, it has the luxury aspect. Uh, but from my perspective, it had a questionable ingredients profile. And then you had the, the green products that had a beautiful ingredients profile, but it, it really didn't have the performance and it really also didn't have the luxury aspect. And sort of taking the best of both, merging that into one so that in essence you could start a new category where you could check all boxes uh, from an ingredients, performance to packaging perspective. Uh, and so that became my aha moment. This was around 2002. And I started working on it in 2003 to see if I could actually create something um, that could fulfill that need. Because it was really, you know, seeing that the world honestly didn't need any more makeup, you know, and I'm not here to bash other makeup brands, but I'm telling it from the perspective of a firsthand experience. And had I not had that experience, I wouldn't have, have you know, I wouldn't have started the brand. Um, but it really was uh, kind of in my face. And there was just this absurd normalcy around, oh, I'm allergic to this, but not really questioning more about it. I just bought something for $30, $20, putting it in the drawer. I was allergic to it, and, and that's considered normal. How can that be normal? That's not normal. It shouldn't be normal. And and that really was my, my sort of starting point. And the proposition then became to create an alternative to what was in the market that could perform at the same level, you know, as what we had grown accustomed to and should expect from a luxury brand, but just with these different attributes attached to it that up until that point really had lived in sort of two separate corners, conventional and green, uh, with compromises attached. Um, so that's how I got started. I started working on it in 2003 um, while I was working as a makeup artist. So, you know, it really at the beginning was very much weekend sort of approach, evening approach. Uh, and then it just started to, you know, one step at a time, uh, start building on itself, you know. And I honestly was clueless. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. But, you know, that was fine. In retrospect, that was fine, you know, because it, it was a huge undertaking. And I, I'm not sure I would have stepped into it had I known Especially back then, I would imagine there were um, there were some more challenges in that it was more difficult to get in touch with people, manufacturers and things of that nature. Um, but then, you know, maybe 
easier for lack of a better word that there was, you know, you really saw this real white space, like you say, oh, the world didn't need another beauty brand and look at it, look at it now. So it's changed, you know, dramatically. So you were really at the, it's incredible. You had the foresight to see that. You know, I I really look at it as it's what I, I, the best way I can explain it, it's what I was meant to do. You know, it feels like my my vocation in life Uh, because I think the beauty industry really needed an overhaul, you know, it, it just needed from, from many perspectives, from marketing, you know, certainly to ingredients profiles, also from a sustainability aspect, you know, I witnessed myself, obviously, the volume of um, virgin plastic that I would go through in a year, just buy and toss, buy and toss, you know, and not really have a conscious approach to it. So there was multiple aspects of the industry that just had an opportunity to look at beauty and and how it was created and shared with the world uh, from a, from a different and new perspective. Absolutely. So you started working on this in 2003. The brand launched in 2010. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just wanted to make sure. Sometimes yes. I just read things and I'm like, oh, yes. it. Um, <laughs> so it took seven years. I mean, that is a significant amount of time. So did you ever feel like? this is never going to happen. Was there sort of any pain points that's held you back? And then, you know, were you bootstrapped and what did the whole, what did those seven years look like at a high level? Yeah. So they, I mean, and honestly, it doesn't have to take seven years. Um, but I was so preoccupied, you know, with working as a makeup artist, uh, that, you know, it was no pun intended. It was an organic avenue to get me there. There's a lot of things that you step into as an entrepreneur, you know, before launching a brand that you really, you know, have no clue about, you know, for me, as an example, is, you know, how to set prices, you know, uh, gross margins, uh, obviously, finding a manufacturer I could work with, you know, finding um, suppliers that could provide the type of design and and packaging, um, and uh, you know, so it sort of went from being only weekends and evenings to yeah, I would take it with me to work. I would test things at work, and yeah, it, it seven years is a long time, you know, but it actually never felt like it wasn't going to happen. I had like a really strong sense inside that this is going to happen. And it's okay that it's going to take some time because it's meant to come out. That's really just how I feel about it. I had lots of well-meaning family and, and friends say to me probably around the fourth, fifth, sixth year, just get it out now already. You know, like, my God, you've been working on this forever. But I knew just instinct in, instinctively that I had to go all the way. I, I think if I have to give myself credit, I have stamina. I will just yeah. continue until I can feel inside every cell of my body that this is as good as it gets, you know, and, and now it's ready. I can't take it any further. So it, it, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, for me, it actually didn't feel like such a long time, even though I fully acknowledge that seven years is, is quite uh, a long time to, to put something to market for sure. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And, you know, you're also working full-time, I would imagine as a makeup yeah. artist, it's hard to to do everything. Um, yeah. How was the brand received when you launched? Um, you were sort of disrupting the category and sort of embracing something that people hadn't really seen before. So I'm curious how, yeah. how that went. And then what product or products did you launch with? 
Yeah, so I launched, you know, I had big dreams and big plans, you know, as I had obviously sort of built some knowledge around what types of products I wanted in my own line, just from working with it for for quite a long time at that point. And but I also pretty fast got a reality check of what that was going to cost me. And so I decided to launch with three products. And in essence, you could say, if you look at it from a holistic standpoint, you know, and and introducing organic, you would want to fulfill the need, uh, you know, on a face that has the biggest surface, which would be a foundation. Um, But women are very loyal to their foundations. And it's potentially not the easiest thing to start with as a brand new brand. So I kind of reshuffled the cars and thought, well, I'm going to start with the the products I would really want to take to set that I'm missing at set having in this clean format. So I launched with cream blushes, lip tints, and eyeshadows. I've always loved anything cream-based, but I decided to do powder eyeshadows because, you know, at the end of the day, cream eyeshadows are a little bit more editorial and probably not as easy for women to use in, in regular sort of professional jobs. Um, and the, you know, the way it was received um, was, you know, very moving to me at the time because it was so well received, you know, by the press. I think they also was they were fascinated, you know, with the packaging and how that looked. And it was a refill system and there was some good storytelling. Wow, it was like that even then. Wow. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, it was. It, it launched as a refill system. Were you the first brand to do that? I think so. I mean, I, I, I'm, I think maybe prescriptives back in the days had something of a refillable nature. Um, but other than that, I think it, it was the first, uh, wow. you know, to refillable. And, and, but from stores, you know, from a retail perspective, it was, it was a lot of education. You know, it was a lot of understanding how to position it. Uh, you know, because again, you you had this sort of perception around natural that it should sit over in the natural category. Uh, let's say just in, in terms of you step into a retail store, they had a natural section, which at the time wasn't very big, but it potentially existed, you know, with, with skincare. So should they put it over there? Should they place the display over there? Or should it sit in luxury because the packaging actually worked best over in luxury? And so it was that constant of, Yes, but we both, you know, like it's both. You 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 can put it in luxury and it will perform. Yes. You know, so it was just a lot of education, you know, like really explaining this merging of two worlds into one and and how they can coexist in an uncompromising way and and then it still is a lot of education, you know, from that, you know, like that it's fulfillable and what does that mean even though obviously that going from being very, very niche to, I would say, sort of snowballing into becoming much more of a norm, you know, there's there's still a lot of education to do, definitely. This year, retail marketers are faced with the challenge of needing to do more with less, all while satisfying a consumer demand for personalized customer experiences. That's why leading retail and e-commerce brands like ShopRunner, FabFitFun, and Allbirds use Iterable, the most powerful customer communication platform to design, optimize, and deliver highly personalized automated journeys that drive repeat purchases and increase lifetime value. 
Since switching to iterable, Madison Reed has seen a 45% upgrade to subscription conversion with the ability to track online and offline interactions, allowing for a 360 degree view of each customer. With rich customer histories and user-level AI-driven insights, you can know who your customers really are and the products they seek. Visit Iterable for retail at iterable.com slash retail to hear more extraordinary success stories from world-class e-commerce brands like Lola, Ritual, and Joybird who use Iterable to power growth that doesn't stop at acquisition. Go to iterable.com slash retail. That's I-T. E-R-A-B-L-E dot com slash retail. Now back to this episode. I have a lot of follow-up questions to that, but let's talk about, yeah. I'm curious, since the brand started, what, what it does, how different does the brand look? I'm curious um, how not only the packaging has evolved, but the brand like overall aesthetic has evolved. I love your packaging. I think it's so premium, really gorgeous. I find it interesting that there's two variations of it. So I'd love to hear yeah. about that. And then just environmental responsibility being a core tenant of the brand for since inception, which is incredible. Talk to me about, like you said, this, this educational component, how you're able to do that and and how you were able to do that beyond yourself, especially because you were just, I don't know, did you build out a team or you were just, just doing it by yourself back then? Yes. It was a one woman show for several years, you know, and, and, and obviously it didn't grow, you know, very much at the time at, at the very beginning. I think the sustainability piece, I just felt, you know, again, sort of going back to the all the years that I had worked in the field, um, that I had a responsibility to do my part and not just add to what we would throw into landfills. But I always have had such a love affair with design, and I think it matters. It's It's not a superficial thing, you know. It is something that moves us. It's not, it's, it's different for every person, what it is, you know, but I think beauty affects us uh, in design as well. You know, I like to make the analogy of why even invest in a bouquet of flowers? You know, it's, it's a poor investment. They're dead in a week, but you do it because it moves you. It, it does something that beauty translates sort of beyond words and and so in terms of packaging and something that you carry with you that you're proud to pull out of your bag that gives you joy whenever you look at it and um, I wanted to see if I could connect the dots of having that sustainability piece mixed with beauty in design and so I started working on, on that uh, with a friend of mine in Copenhagen, and we tied, tried all kinds of materials from wood to aluminum to glass to, you know, cardboard, natural materials, so to speak. Um, but it, it took us only so far, and I had always been a huge fan of the work of a very talented um, creative director, designer. He has many titles, Mark Atlan, you know, and, and eventually um, basically just reached out to him and said, you know, I love what you do. I'm trying to merge these two worlds, you know, of sustainability and luxury into one. And I'm struggling, you know, with finding a material that is actually um, recyclable or biodegradable, uh, but still has a luxury feel. Long story short, you know, he wrote back and said, I think that's a really interesting proposition. You know, I think we could work together. I sort of collected all my mood boards that I always work with and flew out and visited him. He's based in LA and 
And we started working together and it was really one of the sort of major highlights and, and sort of turn of events in the whole process because I could see now how this could actually come together in such a an elevated fashion. Um, and I thought I was, you know, pretty crazy when it came to details, you know, and 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 really having that sort of focus on I'm going to continue until it's it's at a point where I love it. But he took it a notch further, you know, so that, you know, it, it was just a it's a fascinating and fantastic experience to work with him. Yeah, the packaging is beautiful. It's luxurious. It's premium. It's very chic. It, like it would look like a great addition even in your bathroom or your handbag. I mean, I think that's more important to people than they realize. Like even for myself on my vanity, I keep out the products that I like how they look. I mean, honestly. Yeah. So I'm curious if the packaging does look different and then how you have these, you know, two variations of yes. you know, the chrome and then sort of the the red. Yeah. So along the way, uh, because the the iconic, as we call them, the metal cases, um, you know, are substantially heavy. Uh, we wanted to create an alternative to that so you can really personalize what works for you. Or maybe you want one of each, you want one for your person, you want one for your vanity. And so the secondary packaging for the iconic uh, has always been this red paper that's basically our branded paper. Um, and so we thought we could actually take that and turn that into a primary packaging. It would be a lot more lightweight. The, the paper itself is biodegradable. It wouldn't lose the luxury feel. It would be an alternative that could um, really fulfill a need um, that we saw in the market. And also it would allow, you know, for a younger demographic to come into the brand, you know, because the price point overall comes in lower. And so now it's not for every single SKU in the line. Um, we have these two options where you can basically choose for yourself. You buy a refill first, you buy the color first, and then you pick your casing uh, to your liking. Uh, and that's been, you know, doing really, really well. Um, and I think it's a, it's just a, a great sort of addition, you know, to the brand and our DNA and, and love for trying to come up with solutions that are sustainable without losing you know, the, that sort of luxury feel, but at the same time, really having uh, an impact on not using virgin plastic and actually having paper that is biodegradable. That's incredible. I don't know of any other brand that gives the customer an, an option, so to speak, particularly on packaging. Um, I think that's incredible. Um, so let's talk about the product. I'm curious, you know, you launched with these three SKUs. How different is the product lineup today? You've uh, um, embraced skincare. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. And then also, what would you say is your your hero product today or even your hero color? The blush you're wearing, obviously, we're recording this is so natural and beautiful. So I'm curious what some of your favorite yeah. products are. Yeah, so the line has, you know, grown substantially since, you know, like it's we going into our 13th year. So I would say we have a lineup that really fulfills the needs uh, of a, a full sort of makeup lineup. There's still some white spaces in there that we're looking to fulfill. Um, and, and to your point, you know, along the way, really started to tiptoe into skincare as well. Because it makes sense, you know, I look at beauty and what you apply to the, your skin as a holistic experience. And by that, I mean, 
it uh, what you put on your skin you know seeps into your system and and so it just makes sense that you start your routine earlier with ingredients that have you know a resonance with your body and um that aren't you know um ingredients that Again, in, in the best way I can explain it is that uh, the, the body is sort of trying to figure out what to do with, you know. So the organic nature of the products came about. What I had in mind in 2003, uh, after having worked and sort of seen, again, sort of firsthand some of the, the effects of the harsher chemicals and synthetics, was really to try and see if it was possible to put a line together that was 100% natural to the point where you could eat it. Not that I would necessarily, you know. <laughs> That's quite the disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, but literally thinking, how can nature, how, how can we literally take everything from nature, put it into a product and have it perform at a super high level? So that's what I took to the manufacturer that we teamed up with back then that is still, you know, like the manufacturer we work so closely with today. And so seeing that coming together, seeing the textures unfold, seeing that actually being possible, um, you know, was was an amazing experience. But it turned out uh, that we were actually able to, with the ingredients profiles put together uh, for the initial three products and beyond, because it's still the same, you know, from a perspective of we still certified organic, um, but really seeing that these ingredients we could actually get from supervised organic farming. And so in my world, you know, like if I can have an apple that's sprayed, that's great, you know, like that's that's lovely. But if I can have one that's not sprayed and it has that purity, that potency, uh, that life force intact that would be an even better ingredient to put into a product, uh, not only for the way that uh, it performs on the skin, but a long-term effect on what it actually does to the skin from a skincare perspective. Because I really, you know, look at what we do. Uh, I know the term now has, has sort of come about that it's a hybrid product, but we've kind of always done the hybrid, you know, because and uh, I would say a moisturizer and a foundation are created majorly from the same ingredients the only difference is from a foundation or anything with that it's called makeup at the end of the production you know we put in color and now it's makeup so it's really makeup a skincare or skincare oh, wow. makeup you know so you'll see the skin benefits over time for sure by by you know wearing it for its color payoff at the end of the day that's why you purchased it um and so it's that love of ingredients and see how they actually nourish and moisturize and uh, hydrate and and just um are affecting one's skin over time you know combined with obviously the immediate efficacy that has to be in place yeah. And what color are you wearing? I'm curious. It looks I am wearing a color that's called inner glow. So you look like it. Yeah. You look, you look amazing. Um, I'm curious, how challenging has it been to scale from an operational standpoint? You seem, you know, meticulous, not only on the product that you're developing, but really the ingredients. So are you still working with your same uh, initial manufacturer or yeah. has Oh, wow. Okay. Incredible. So yeah. they've had to scale with you, I would imagine. Yeah. So yeah. what does the operation side looked like? Is that, was that something you uh, 
sought out, you know, support in the beginning, or is that something you also had to become an expert in as well? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, um, you know, having to kind of do it on my own from the beginning has the benefit of not making me an expert in, in, in a lot of things, but making me understand pretty much every aspect of the business to a certain level. So I'm not saying I'm an expert in it, but because you have to basically dive in there on your own, you have to learn about it. If it's, you know, warehouse management, supply chain, you know, um, uh, so, so in that sense, I recommend that when, you know, when young entrepreneurs say, you know, how do I get started on this? They just dive in there and try and learn as many aspects of the business as possible, because it's going to be hugely helpful for you the day where you actually have, you know, experts in, in the different functions. You'll understand what they're talking about. So to go back to being able to scale, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a process, you know, and it is one of the challenges, um, I think, in working with the types of, of raw materials that we work with, you know, not only if you, it's almost like thinking that you're working in the wine industry, you know, you, every single harvest is going to be different from that of last season. This is how nature operates. It, it's not stable from season to season that way. But you can't have a product that changes from season to season. So you really have to keep a mindful eye on everything that you do. Um, so that when you have bestsellers, uh, the fine tuning of making sure that they stay in place. Let's say if the shea butter, you know, has a lower fat content than it did from last season, you have to make sure that all of a sudden you don't have a product that's going dry. You know, so it takes a lot more handholding, you know, in, in order to get uh, the outcome that is the product our customers, customers have fallen in love with. Um, and so being able to scale that as well, you know, is is really just making sure that you have enough suppliers, you have enough farmers that can produce because you are dependent on harvests coming in. You have to do forecasting uh, quite far in advance, you know, because they have to know how much to plant. We have to all hope for a good season uh, and that we get the amount of raw materials that we need. So it, it's just a different it's a different approach than working majorly in in synthetics because you can control it at a whole different level yeah but it also comes with a lot uh, a lot more struggles and pain points which is why i'm sure you know yeah. in the past people were very hesitant to do it there's so many variables to to ensure quality it sounds you know very stressful yeah. um i'm curious is there anything you would go back and do differently or or was there another part of the business that was really challenging that you weren't anticipating um, I think, would I have done it differently? You know, sometimes I think I probably should have taken on a small investment at the very beginning, uh, after I had launched, you know, to assist me in running the business, you know, because I was working as a makeup artist and actually feeding cash from that business into the makeup business. So in essence, it became a lot. It became too much and a little bit of a bottleneck. But then in retrospect, um, I learned a lot from it as well. You know, you I really find I don't know how you feel about that, but I find, you know, the um, the complexity of perspective when things aren't going well 
is when you really see, okay, this is how I have to do things differently. Learn a lot from that. When things are going smoothly, you kind of just ride with the wave and you don't get a lot of, uh, you know, questions coming your way. So if I was to change something, potentially that, you know, having brought somebody on uh, a little bit earlier, but it's 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 not a it's not something that keeps me awake at night. You know, oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's two schools of thought with that. I mean, then you still have 100% control over the business. And yeah. I'm sure you if you weren't, you know, maybe profitable in the beginning, you were as close to profitable as you could possibly be since you were yeah. accounting for every single dollar. I've yeah. seen a lot of brands have, you know, very heavy, you know, front investments, and they yeah. have not done well. And I, I think that's why I think these founder led brands that like live and breathe the brand, I think I think there's a lot of heart and soul that are that are put into these brands. And I think for a lot of people, it ultimately does pay off. So yeah. um, interesting topic, though, actually, I'm curious, have you what does that look like today? Have you taken on a lot of investment? Have you sold part of the business? Yes, I have. I mean, uh, and we now have a majority investor uh, on board. So, you know, it, it's looking very different, you know, from what it looked like, you know, 10, 13, years, definitely, you know, and having uh, a much, much bigger setup, obviously, you know, where um, with the different functions are, you know, taking care of, of themselves, uh, you know, with expertise, whereas before it was just trying to, figure out, um, you know, wearing a lot of caps and wearing a lot of hats. Uh, but again, sort of going back to what I was saying before, it comes in super handy now, you know, feeling that you're not sitting on the outside, but actually being able to participate and understand the complexities and the issues they may have or new investments that are needed. Uh, you don't feel like you're just sitting on the sideline, not understanding, you know, what's actually going on in your company. So. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Um, let's talk about marketing. Um, obviously, the brand launched, like we mentioned, in 2010. Marketing has changed yeah. drastically, to say the least. So I'm curious, um, what really today, what marketing channel is most effective for you and how you've pivoted your marketing over time to you know, accommodate and embrace these changes? Yeah, I would say in you know, the very beginning for many, many years, the, the only real approach was, you know, a more traditional PR approach, you know, having, I took that on from the very beginning uh, and invested in that in order to get, you know, um, the brand out there, getting it in front of people, having visibility into what, you know, the brand was, you know, hoping for some bigger brand stories, being able to tell, uh, you know, like that sort of deeper story that sits underneath. Um, and then Instagram happened. Uh, and so marketing spend for many years was really only focused on uh, PR. And it was not, I would say, until really probably 2015, 16, that we started invested investing in, you know, really working with our doors, you know, like, for instance, when we were doing launches, you know, investing with our doors um, in, in, in from a marketing approach where we would do, you know, partnerships, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then also just as, as Instagram happened and social media started to build, uh, building that out slowly, but very, uh, I would say on a, on a very small scale. 
Um, so now, you know, obviously we are uh, with the team involved these days. There's there's a whole different approach to that. You know, I think what we see is working. Um, I feel like it was like 2020, 2021, you know, like the whole sort of influencer approach came about. And we did some tiptoeing into that and, and saw some decent results. But really what resonates for our customers and when we do well is when it's a natural love of the brand, when it's a natural position of somebody, you know, really loving the brand and, and speaking to it. We see that also from a standpoint of celebrities, if it's a celebrity that posts about it without us actually having, uh, you know, paid uh, any sort of larger sums, but where it's just a little bit uh, that comes from a authentic place, that's when we see, you know, uh, that it really resonates with our customers. And so I think also the storytelling, you know, like uh, emails to our customer base, being able to go deeper that way, I really think uh, resonates understanding the the sort of intricacies and, and the depth of the ingredients profile, the sustainability. There's constantly storytelling to be made that way. That seems to just resonate with our customers um, in in when it, it comes from that authentic place, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of the you're the brand yeah. ethos of the brand as well. Just this yeah. authenticity and natural and organic. I think that it, that feeds into the marketing. And I think I think consumers are much smarter nowadays and yeah. they you know really see through it. There's sort of this movement of like um, you know, cancel culture of influencers, which I find really interesting. So I think I think that those influencers that are only, you know, promoting or um encouraging the brands they really right. genuinely love, I think, I think that really is is the future for sure. Um, I just want to touch on retail versus D2C and and how you approach just the brand globally, um, since you're in such a unique position being from Denmark and having a different perspective. Um, I'm curious what that kind of looks like for you nowadays, like what percentage of the business is D2C and how you sort of right. also pivoted from, I would imagine being, did you launch e-commerce or you were always a uh, retail in the beginning? So at the very beginning, we were retail, you know, and, and I can't actually remember the exact year, but down the line, we obviously started going into D to C as well. Um, we've always been heavy on, on retail, you know, really having great relationships with our doors. And then COVID happened and, and as many other brands really having to pivot towards our D to C. So I'd say right now it's about, 60 40 60 retail 40 d to c um, but i think you know d to c is is such an interesting place because it's really it's 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 our universe it's where we can tell our deeper story it's 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 our retail store our own retail store in a way where we can go into depth um so i love being able to build that you know um and 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 speak to you know everything we do going more into transparency and and having it become a hub for um all the initiatives that we take and 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 being able to um you know everything is moving so fast you know everything i'm i'm trying to think of you know as an example when i first started the types of material that you could find that was recyclable you know now uh so many years later 
everything has transformed and there's so many interesting suppliers out there coming up with fantastic ideas, you know, being able to have a conversations and staying on the forefront of, you know, what has kind of become the new norm, you know, and an expectation uh, from this younger generation of consumers that are very savvy. Yeah, super savvy. Uh, mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, sort of, uh, it's interesting how, to me, how you've embraced all of these changes being a brand. I think a lot of brands that started, you know, 10 plus years ago, some have really won ultimately, and then some have felt very challenged in embracing these changes. And as a founder, I'm curious how you've really best allocated your time to to be on the pulse of everything like you were speaking about earlier you you have your hand in every aspect of the business i'm curious how you've been able to manage that and then um how you were able to build a team to support you to enable you to do that up until 2018 19 you know i was very very involved in in every aspect of the business and then with the larger investments coming on board and being able to to scale you know uh just from a staff perspective as well um i am you know more focused on the creative side the product development side of things you know i that's where my sweet spot is that's you know where i think i i bring you know the most value frankly and then there's lots of other aspects of the brand that now i am sitting more on the sidelines you know and and having uh, you know, meetings with the team and giving my perspective, etc. You know, I sort of see myself as the one holding the torch, you know, staying in touch with the North Star of the brand so that uh, it's, it's obviously completely different stepping into a brand and having lived in it and sort of embodied it. So just being able to, you know, steer the team, if I feel that we're getting a little off track and that's not really what we would do, uh, et cetera. So I'm still incredibly involved, but it's more in the creative new product development sphere. Um, and then speaking to the brand, of course, you know, and, and then again, sort of sitting a little bit more on the outline, uh, sidelines of, let's say operations, sales, and what would be a fantastic retailer to, to pursue, et cetera, et cetera. That must feel amazing to be, to finally be in that position. I imagine that's the the part of the business that you really genuinely love. Yes. Um, For sure. That's, that's funny. Um, What advice, uh, beauty or, or non like work related, personal life related, would you give your younger self? I would probably advise her. I, I think as I recall, my young teens, you know, and starting to think about what I wanted to do, there was an innate calling inside for wanting to create something, you know, like on a bigger scale. I could, I had definitely had that feeling back then. And then there was the sort of Kirsten, you know, growing up in a small town, sort of ego oriented that was saying, no, no. And, that probably can never happen. I would probably say to myself, listen to the inner voice, not to the mind, that mind chatter, you know, and because that's really, that's your true essence. Uh, the other part is just, you know, what we kind of grow up in that um, can potentially limit us, you know, whereas the other piece is where all the potential sits and and everything really is limitless so uh, I I think 
and I've grown to uh, really listen to my inner voice, you know, also in the process of creating the brand. Uh, I really consider that sort of intuition my strongest ally, you know, because it's it's where I can feel the guidance is sitting. And so, so I think that would be my piece of advice, you know, calm down the mind chatter and listen, uh, listen to your soul's voice that sits there truly, truly anchored inside. I love that. I think that's really powerful advice. And I think people who have such a, this might sound a cheesy way to say it, but a really deep connection with themselves and and their soul voice, I think sometimes it's hard for others to to understand that. So I think having that be our goal, like really being aligned with yourself is, is something uh, we're always working on. So yeah. Uh, it sounds like you had it very, very early age. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, for my final question, what's next for you? I could talk to you all day, but I don't want to keep you too long. Um, what's next for you and the brand? So there's, I mean, there's several new launches in the pipeline, you know, um, you know, love developing products and, and and doing that with the team, but really doing it from a standpoint of, coming up with ideas and products that we can imagine our customer is going to love so much that she's going to finish the bottle uh, to the point where she's got to lick it to get it out of, you know, <laughs> well, she can, she can, can. it's yes, okay. Exactly. <laughs> like really loving it, you know, and, and, um, and, and trying truly not to live under a rock and, and not pay attention to what goes on in the world and in the beauty industry as a whole, but also not being too distracted by trends, but staying focused on what makes sense, what has purpose for this brand. So we have some, you know, some fun things coming on, on that sort of uh, in, in that aspect. And then on a larger scale, I mean, it really is to keep getting the products in front of more and more customers out there. It is, I think, just a, a beautiful alternative that uh, we want to spread the message about globally. And so how do we do that? We do that with the right partners, you know, building building out our D2C, you know, and making sure that everything we do is communicated, you know, in the best possible way. You know, just keep building it step by step. That's That's really the goal. But constantly having our core essence intact and not letting ourselves getting distracted by now this is happening on that it's happening very interesting yeah super important and again also easier said than done but i think the brand uh, has stood the test of time for a reason so thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today i loved chatting with you and, and i loved hearing your story for anyone who wants to find out more information on yourself and the brand, where can I direct them? Carewise.com. I mean, that would be the best place. And then I think we do a, a pretty good job as well on, on our social media, Instagram, you know, telling our story. But carewise.com would, would be my recommendation. Awesome. And I'll be sure to put uh, the link to the website in the show notes with the spelling because it might not be exactly what you think. So <laughs> thank you so, so much. No, thank you truly for having me. It's been such a joy speaking with you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. So lots thank of gratitude so to you. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe to all future episodes. 
For show notes and resources mentioned, go to glamandgrow.co. This show is produced by Wavebreak. If you're an e-commerce marketing leader who wants to take your email and CRM program to the next level, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call.